Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Claudia Long. Claudia says she's a weaver of words, catcher of dreams, and chronicler of the spaces between the lines in the history books, women's stories, women's dreams, her story. In her alternate life, she's the grandmother of two spectacular grandsons, mother of two marvelous kids, chocolate-loving lawyer, mediator, wife, and cook. Her books live in rich historical settings that show the lives, loves, and lusts of women immersed in a society that they want to be a part of, but as themselves. She's written books about Jewish women living as Catholics in colonial Mexico, professional female writers struggling to affect change in early 20th century California. And now with nine-tenths of the law and our lying kin, she's writing about women in contemporary California and New York whose lives are powerfully affected by their parents' history. Nine-tenth explored the emotional trials that two daughters of a Holocaust survivor suffered, including the guilt, not just over their mother's trauma, but the sensation that their own grief could never compare with hers. In our lying kin, it's their father who struggled with the baggage he inherited from his own parents who fled Hungary in the terror of the early 20th century. So welcome, Claudia. I've read both Nine-Tenths of the Law and Our Lying Kin, and I enjoyed them both very much. I'm also quite impressed with how you combine your expertise as both a lawyer and a writer and, a, and also a cook, I should mention, into your works of fiction. So, so we have a lot to talk about. Um, to begin with, why don't you give us a brief summary of our lying kin for, um, I guess nobody's read it yet. Um, right. So um, it's it will be out on March 9th, right? Well, actually, well, thank you, first of all, Meryl, for having me. I'm so happy to be on your podcast oh, with you. Uh, big fan of yours, and uh, we could have a mutual admiration society here for a moment, but um, I think, Meryl, you're just terrific, and I thank you greatly. Uh, The book is supposed to come out on February 23rd of this year, 2023. March 9 is the projected current shipping date from a very large um, purveyor, right? <laughs> and uh, but it should be out, and you should be able to get it um, a few about a week earlier than that, if all goes well with the publisher. Okay, good. So uh, tell us about the book. All right, and I'm sorry if there's noise. Uh, it's pouring down rain out here in California, and as you know, and uh, every every couple of minutes the wind blows and enormous amounts of water hit the, mm. the window. So I'm sorry about that. Well, but, our thoughts um, are with you and, and we hope that you stay safe. 
I thank you. I'm safe, but not necessarily dry. Um, <laughs> so Our Lion Kin, as you've just mentioned, is the second book uh, after, it's the book after Nine-Tenths of the Law. And in it's a standalone, but it also uh, is enhanced by reading Nine-Tenths of the Law if you happen to do so first. Zara and Lily are the sisters in the story. They are in our line kin, they're 59 and 60 years old because their mother went through the Holocaust. And uh, if you add, if you do any arithmetic at all, you know that that's when it has, that's how old they are. Um, our line kin finds the sisters with a new bunch of problems. It's, I like to say it's a sister's novel with a mystery flowing through it. And the tight bond of the sisters that was established in nine tenths of the law has been seriously frayed by the pandemic. Um, Zara, the narrator, has completely isolated herself in California, becoming more insular and judgmental. And Lily, the uh, slightly older sister, who will remind you that she's only slightly older, um, who got COVID in New York in March of 2020, She's taken to drinking, swearing, and searching online for ancestors and relatives. She's also managed um, a neat bit of insurance fraud and taken up romantic relations with uh, Lev Zimmerman, the prior owner of the menorah they look for in um, Nine Tenths. The book also finds the threads of Zara and Lily's father, Daniel, who died many years before. And he's, as you mentioned, also a second generation trauma survivor. You know, in the early 1900s, as you well know from your books, um, there were there was a reign of terror in Odessa and other parts of what was then Czechoslovakia, but had been Hungary and then had, is now Ukraine, um, different areas where um, Daniel's family was from and his parents had fled. And so he's a second generation survivor as well, but it's in an era where John Wayne movies dictated how a man dealt with his emotions. And he, when he passed, had left, uh, shall we say an unfortunate legacy. He left an apartment, a mysterious death, and a woman, a woman who claims to be among other things, Zara and Lily's sister yeah I wanted to ask you um what why did you um choose to write these books as mysteries you know it's an interesting thing I didn't I start I wrote nine tenths not as a mystery it was a little bit funny a little bit quirky and a real sister's book but by the time it was finished, it was a it was a murder mystery. Well, that's and, what I was going to say. It felt like a mystery. Yeah, it became one. You know, um, you know that question: Are you a plotter or a pantser? Yes. Um, I am an absolute plotter. I have outlines. My outlines have outlines, and even they have sub outlines. I am fully uh, committed to establishing all the details of every part of my book and then I sit down to write and something happens <laughs> and so um in this in in both nine tenths and in our lying kin they're mysteries and so there they are but um 
I set out to write novels about sisters and they became mysteries. So let me ask you about that. Um, so it is, as you said, it sisters books. They both are. They explore the complex relationships between sisters, including inherited trauma, jealousy, and family secrets. Uh, secrets. Why did you make? Why did you want to make your main characters sisters? And I have to ask you: Do you have a sister? <laughs> <laughs> I have a sister. She's okay. um, a couple months more than eleven and a half months older than I am, but just barely. And she and I are so close that it's almost like we are attached at the hips by a rope that extends 3000 miles because she also, mm. she lives in New York and I live in California. Mm -hmm. um, also our mother was a Holocaust survivor and many of the flashbacks in nine tenths are from her story. Right. But to me, I start, like I said, I started out writing this story about these two women who were the daughters of Aurora and who were experiencing this reach from the from the grave almost, demanding that they write one tiny wrong that was all that was left to be able to fix because everything else was too late. And my own sister and I are, you know, we're we're second generation survivors. And we too felt this pressure and this grief. And that was what I wanted to write about. The books are fiction, trust me. And Our Lion Kin is definitely fiction. But And are the are the sisters similar to you and your sister or not really? Where they they are, and it's it's a little bit funny. Uh, my as I say in my um, acknowledgments to our lying kin, I thank my real life sister Francesca Hagedis for lending me her identity for Lily. But in reality, I mean she's a very level headed, thoughtful, <laughs> well behaved person. Okay, well I see. So you you definitely. Uh fictionalized her oh absolutely I mean nobody's the idea of the sister <laughs> and and I assume you made these people you wanted to make them about the age of you and your sister is that well old? my sister and I I will confess are a bit older but um no <laughs> you know <laughs> well that's a relief Claudia <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I it was interesting when I first wrote Nine Tenths, um, one of the people who read it, um, the brilliant writer himself, um, winner of the O'Henry Awards and all kinds of things said, would it be possible to make these ladies a bit younger? It's very difficult to sell a book with protagonists in their late 50, women in their late 50s. And I said, do the math. <laughs> you That's know? True. That is, that is true. Um... I guess, yeah. Um, so I keep thinking about nine tenths of the law. I I totally understood why you chose that title, and I guess Sorry. I understand mm -hmm. our lying kin. But 
why did you want that to be the title? And and were there other titles you considered? My my publisher and I, the editor, we went back and forth a bit on titles, but um, it is about liars, right? Mm-hmm. It's about family and it's about people who neglect the truth and twist the truth. And somehow the play on Lion King, Lion King, Lion King, <laughs> and our Lion King, I... Oh, Lion King. Hmm, I didn't even <laughs> pick that up. Okay. Yeah. And since the father is, you know, such a dominant person, you know, a Lion King, I just, I kind of enjoyed that little play on words. So, so talk a little bit about the sister's relationship uh, with with their father and how did his background impact his relationship with Lily and Zara? That was one of the things that I, I'm so sorry, that I, I, I most enjoyed writing. And that um, that came about because I began to think about the earlier traumas, you know, the um, the traumas of World War One, the traumas of the um, the families that fled, like I said, Central Europe during that era, and how now we can talk about we can talk about second generation trauma, we can talk about um, inherited trauma, but back then people couldn't talk about that at all, and men certainly could not express their emotions in the ways we can now, they were almost limited to anger. And so thinking back to um, people I'd known, um, friends of the family, I, I thought about how would a man express these terrible feelings that he had, except by lashing out. So that was what I chose to do with Daniel. My own family, um, my father was a great guy, okay? And mm-hmm. so this is um, totally fictionalized, but his family was from Hungary, like I said, and um, well, it was Hungary all the way around for them, but it's no longer, parts of it are no longer Hungary. Um, and they came over in 1910. And so he too was a survivor, a second generation survivor and certainly could never have expressed it. Yeah, so um, your your mother was a Holocaust survivor. So as a child of a Holocaust survivor, I'd like to ask if you think all children of survivors are touched in some way by their parents' experiences, whether they are aware of them or not. And why did you want to portray the sisters' different reactions to their shared experiences? Well, that's um, a great question because, yes, I think it's likely. I mean, you can't speak for everybody, of course, but um, I think that we're all affected by what we go through in our upbringings and our parents are um, affected by their own traumas. And so... Yeah, but interestingly enough, people react differently. People react in their own natures. People react in their um, in their circumstances, their gender, their uh, location, what what they're free to say or not say. And I think that in Daniel's generation, 
um, like I said, it was unacceptable. It wasn't talked about. And so these confusing feelings of inadequacy and of fury had nowhere to go. Correct. I mean, there was no um, concept of PTSD. There wasn't counseling for this. It wasn't, I mean, the Holocaust wasn't really even a word until I think 1979, you know, a widely used word. It was after the, you know, that miniseries, um, The Holocaust. Um, so do do writing these books help you deal deal with um, any unresolved issues? Well, um, I'd say, of course, they do in the sense that they allow me to project many different reactions that people could have. Um, I think that individually, it's important to have, um, you know, whether it's uh, professional or simply other people to talk about these things so that you can recognize your own feelings and reflect on them and how they manage to infiltrate and you know, influence you so that your own children are, um, you know, aware of what you're going through uh, much more honestly. Uh, it's interesting though, you know, we didn't, like you said, we didn't have PTSD. We didn't have all of those things as labels. And I remember my mother actually saying, you know, they learned on us. They learned, they learned about this on us. And it's, that's it, true, but that is really very true. Yeah, but if you read anything about um, the after effects of World War One, especially in um, England and France, you you really see that people were beginning to recognize that they called shell shock. Right. And, you know the um, actually um, the there are. That. Anyway, I was thinking about this, the play called Shell Shock, but um, Eugene O'Neill, but there's, you know, they, they learned bit by bit, but even then, Shell Shock was by some attributed to cowardice. And obviously, what those men went through in the trenches was anything but cowardice. It was yeah. horror. And it also gives you a perspective about what happened in France in. World War II, when they were, you know, because in World War I, their male population was decimated and there were, you know, their fields, when they plowed them later on, they would still find bodies and body parts. And so when the uh, Nazis came to France, it was very difficult to say, okay, we're going to sacrifice everybody again, you yeah. know? That's that is that is very in, that's an interesting point. Um, do you think that children of survivors have a special responsibility to tell the story of the Holocaust? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Okay. I think that for those of us who choose storytelling as our medium, yes, but as not everybody's a storyteller. And some people process in different ways. Some people process by acknowledgement and forgiveness. Some people process by anger. Some people process by art. And some people, you know, 
compartmentalize. I don't think any of us has a any more of a responsibility than anybody else to externalize. But I do think that when the question comes up, we do have a responsibility, each one of us, to stand up and say, yes, it happened. Yes, it was horrible. And no, you are not forgiven. <laughs> or you are not excused, is a better word, from Okay, from okay so trauma. what, what um, message did you want to convey to readers um, in, in both your books? And what questions did you want to raise in their minds or themes? You know, it, as a mystery, it works as entertainment. As a slightly funny novel, it works as even better entertainment, I think. But underneath it all, you're right. There are a couple of themes and a couple of messages that um, I would love to have my readers feel or see from the books. They are the obvious one, which is that anti-Semitism has not gone away. It is very alive, it is very real, and it cannot be ignored. Mm -hmm. And second of all, that we should be a little bit more gracious in dealing with our own parents in saying, where were you in your life? What happened to you that made you who you are? We're so busy talking about what happened to us and our life, right, right. you know? And it would be, I think, a very healing to be able to look back and say, hmm, they existed before we were born. <laughs> and, and also they're really, um, and I mentioned this to my kids as well. I mean, your parents are just you, a generation old. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're just all, all human beings. Um, I thought it was very interesting and actually I want to say courageous uh, for you to include the pandemic in this story um, when it's not even quite over yet. Uh, why did you choose to do that? You know, it's funny. I, I say in my afterward that it's easier to write historical fiction than contemporary novels mm -hmm. because we know how their wars and, and plagues turned out, you know? Right. <laughs> and so you do take a, you take a big risk in writing about something like the pandemic because let's say that instead of these wonderful vaccines that have allowed us to move forward with our lives, even in the presence of the um, continued COVID plague, um, what if they hadn't worked? Then that whole book would be stupid, right? So- <laughs> did, you, did you think of that? <laughs> I sure did, I sure did. And I thought to myself, well, if I ignore it, then, then the book's stupid <laughs> because anybody reading it would say, wait a minute, no, wasn't that during the pandemic? They couldn't have been just hanging out there in bars. And um, if I write it wrong and it comes out differently, people will say, wait a minute, uh, that's not what happened. You can always tell a book written before 9-11 because people run out onto the tarmac to catch a plane, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And now, you know, of course, there's security and your shoes and your belt and your hat and your coat and your anyway. So um I but I did think about it consciously. And the thing that I know from having this is my sixth novel, okay, published is that your publisher will send you an ARC and you an advanced reader copy to correct. And if things between the time you wrote it and the time it's it's ready for a review, um, if things have changed so radically that you need to change your book, there's always time. That is correct. I had to I had to um, change my notes in the back because when I wrote the book, uh, Roe v. Wade was still the law of the land. Oh, golly. <laughs> yep. So yes, I, I, I know that uh, very well. Uh, so Claudia, you are both a practicing lawyer and a writer, um, an author who's who's written several books. How do you balance these two careers um, and how do they overlap? Well, you know, it's writing is kind of um, a little bit like breathing. You know, if you don't do it, you start to feel like you're suffocating if that's your art. And um, I've been... Re- writing novels, you know, I have six published mainstream novels. And before that, Don't Tell a Soul, I used to write women's erotic fiction under a pen name. And no, I'm not going to tell you my pen name. And so- well, there's some pretty um, <laughs> famous people who, who do that, so. Yes, it, it, it pays well, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I have always, since, oh, 2004, Four or so, I've always written the first draft of my novel in November in NaNoWriMo, um, okay. National Novel Writing Month or November right. Novel Writing Month. Um, and I write the first draft all the way through, if I can, in one month. And then I take a year or, or more to revise, rewrite, etc. I've written during work. I've written at night, I don't write in the morning because I'm not really a morning person. And so I I fit it in where I can. Back in the 2004, 2000 to 2010 or so, I had um, one of my kids was still at home. And so that was really truly a balancing act. Uh, but after he finally, went off to college and one thing and the other, I had a little bit more time in the house to write. So can you tell us a little bit about your work as a lawyer and how it impacts your choice of of topics to write about? You know, my work is, um, for the past 20 years, I have been a mediator of various kinds of disputes, construction, commercial, real estate, banking, uh, business dissolutions. And so it has not really entered my uh, writing life that much, although I did spend 10 years with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. So I also mediate employment and employment discrimination cases which is why Zara in Nine Tenths of the Law and Our Lying Kin is an employment investigation. Um, she's an investigator. 
So um, that's how that influenced it. But my other novels, I have to say that really my love of literature and art is what influenced my writing far more. Um, I See, because to... I, I, you know, read the the legal aspects of it, and I was very comforted by the fact that you know you're a lawyer, so you this must all be correct. <laughs> yes, I hope so. I certainly, <laughs> I would be embarrassed not to have it right. Although uh, I did have to do some pretty substantial research. research. Uh, yeah, on co-ops versus condos, because in New York, they New York City, they have co-ops and in California, they have we have condos, condominiums, right. and the, the rules are very, very different. But um, I did and I did speak with one of my colleagues in New York City and had him vet a little bit the uh, co-op law palaver there in our lying kin. So any errors, though, are strictly mine, obviously. Um, I think that all of my books have a somewhat legalistic turn to them, but ultimately all of them, every last one of them has the theme of living in secret, um, presenting a face to the world of somebody who is not you. Um, my earlier books were about um, the crypto Jews, the secret Jews of um, post-inquisition in Spain, living in Mexico, presenting a face to the world of being Catholics, but keeping the threads of their Judaism alive. Um, I wrote about uh, women who could not show their sexuality, their vibrancy, and had to keep that under wraps. And now in these books, um, the Aurora lives as a Christian through World War II secretly, um, although she's a Jew. And um, Daniel hides his own Judaism. You know, there's um, people presenting a face to the world and to survive. And I think that that's ultimately the biggest theme of all of my books. So I want to talk a little bit about what's next for you, but I, I did I hear that you're having a film? <laughs> yes, Nine, Nine Tests of the Law was optioned for a film. That's and great. That, yeah, I know, right? And yeah, amazing, I mazel tov. <laughs> and I could not believe it. Now being optioned for a film is, a funny thing because what does that mean and how right. did this happen <laughs> right exactly um being optioned for a film means that some filmmaker or in this case a film and production company that makes actual real movies um has found your your story interesting and has bought the option to put out a film now you that doesn't mean they're going to. It means that they have now the option mm -hmm. of doing it. And most of these things never go anywhere. But oh, really? It sounds yet. so impressive. Oh, my but, goodness. I was going to ask you, you know, whether it would be on Netflix or in the theaters. Oh, so hold on. Hold on, Meryl, because I have been supremely lucky because 
the production company actually had a script written. Oh, yes. And it's really different. It's, you know, you, you lose all control, but um, it's a pretty cool script and it does have the bones of the book, but it's, it's, there's a few differences in there. Let me tell you, the only thing I stipulated was that they could not make Zara and Lily young women. You know, I was like not having any of that. I said, it, they know that can't be their grandmother who survived. Maybe Meryl, Meryl Streep will be in it. And I would love that, wouldn't I? Glenn Close that? or Helen Mirren. <laughs> yes, I was thinking Gal Gadot could be something. But anyway, oh. uh, but she's too young. But anyway, um, and so after they wrote the script, they submitted it. And it was one of only three selected by the Silicon Valley Film Festival mm. for a... Um, a table reading in a public reading and so that happened last month and so it's winning it won an award the script Great. yeah and so this makes each step makes it much more possible that the film will be actually made wow and now they're so looking exciting. to attach talent i mean this is actually <laughs> That's really, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's yeah. amazing. So in the meantime, are, do you have another book project that you're going to work on or you started working on or you're thinking about working on? I have the first draft of the next book, which I wrote this November. And Sarah and Lily have yet another adventure. Oh, so this and is a the third in the series yes and it looks like these adventurous sisters are going to find themselves going off to Alsace for, of all places and um, I'm very very excited and for although I've never been to Alsace my in real life sister has many times and so um, I think that she and I may have to road trip to make get some realism what do you think and what do you know what's the bones of the story are yet um yeah because i've written the first draft i have a pretty good idea um they uh but let's let's hold that thought because okay. things okay. do change but nevertheless they are going to go off chasing a um a caravaggio sketch oh so okay. um yes so that should be interesting i think these ladies will have some good fun in france wow well, good luck with that too. So what's been the reaction um, from your family and friends and readers to, to your books, to the, you know, to let's say nine tenths of the law and your, if anyone has read the, um, our Lion King yet. Um, it's, uh, I have my sister read the draft before it gets published because because I stole her identity. Mm -hmm. I feel I owe her the right to say, ah, yeah, no, you are not writing that, you know? And she has not done that. She has embraced and supported me in full, with a full heart in our, our both nine-tenths of the law and our lying kin. And I'm incredibly grateful to her for that. She only reserves the right to um, make sure she has the last word on what I wear and how my hair is for any book signings. Um, wow. And so what about, yeah, I, I, I meant to ask you about the, the, 
the cooking storyline. Are you actually a cook or a chef? Or I mean, that's pretty uh, important. Yes. Um, I Before I went to law school, I had the intention of becoming a chef. But if you can sort of take your mind back to 1976, if you were around back then, um, there weren't a lot of women chefs. I worked in one of the only all-women kitchens in Washington, D.C. Um, I was a, had a butcher's apprenticeship in a restaurant in New York arranged by my father. Uh, I was accepted to the hotel school in Lausanne, and um, I decided that for the moment, I was not going to actually do that. So I went to law school instead. And when I moved to California, um, before I got my bar credentials here in California, I worked as a um, sous chef and as a waitress at a restaurant in San Francisco. And um, then after my daughter was born, I attended the California Culinary Academy professional program. Um, and so essentially, I, I'm a pretty accomplished cook, if I dare say it. And um, now it's just a hobby, but I really love to explore all the different cuisines and cook things. And my mother used to say that she is not a kitchen patriot, that she <laughs> she would cook anybody's cuisine, and I do the same. Wow. So you're you're really a Renaissance woman, Claudia. I cannot sing. I can barely ride a bicycle. Um, I can't draw. <laughs> <laughs> you do enough. Um, so so our time is is drawing to a close. I want to ask you, uh, where can people find you online? Um, uh, ClaudiaHLong.com is my website. Facebook, Claudia H. Long Author is my Facebook site. I am on Instagram. Uh, I am not on Twitter anymore uh, for possibly obvious reasons, but um, my handle there is C Long Novels if you're interested in anything I posted a while ago. Uh, and so I'm, I'm findable, I'm around. And my email, if you want to write to me, is Claudia Long Author at Gmail. Great, great. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners? The only thing I'd like your listeners to know is that I am extraordinarily honored to be on this podcast. Oh, thanks. Because you're amazing. And if anybody does buy any of your books or my books, if they enjoy them, please tell your friends, please post a review and just let everybody know because when a book launches into, for example, nine tenths launched into the pandemic, and when a book launches into the ether, it's hard for it to rise above the noise and get noticed. So please, the best gift you can give an author is a review and word of mouth. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Claudia Long. The new book is Our Lying Kin. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. 
people of the book is a copyrighted presentation of the authors on the air global radio network please visit us and like our facebook page people of the book i'm your host meryl ain the author of the post holocaust novel the takeaway man the sequel shadows we carry will be published in april for more information about my books and writing visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.